Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Ellie Wilson, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So for starters, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about where you came from and uh, how you ended up getting into this art world. Hey, so um, I, my grandpa was actually a landscape painter. and Wait, so like a, a professional landscape painter? No, just hobbyist. Okay. Um, but he just like had some of my cousins and I go and do like art class outside of school, you know, so I was like eight, I think. And my cousins all kind of like stopped after the first bit and I was the only one who kept going. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. And then I just loved doing art and got like the validation from people that I was good. So just kept going and honestly, everything just kind of like slowly just worked out from there, which is, you know, not how it happens for everybody. But yeah, really... so you were painting as a child, a young child, you were already painting. Yeah, started with pastels, and then got into watercolor and then started oil when I was 15 years old. Wow, that's really young. Did you have any decent yeah. classes from anybody beside your grandpa? Or was it just family thing? Um, well, actually, it wasn't my grandpa who taught us. It was like outside school. I can't even remember what it was called. But it was like an outside school thing. And then but I do remember wait, wait, what do you mean an outside school thing? It was just like some local like art school. Oh, an kids. extracurricular like community class yeah. or something. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But not through the school. Anyway, but um, my grandpa would, we'd go over on Sundays and he would be, I remember him still like drawing on napkins and things with like the pencil, like this is how you do a mountain. You do like the silhouette and then you come down with the lines to show the form, which is not how I do a mountain, but <laughs> that's how he did a mountain. Uh -huh. And I remember him just, you know, teaching me stuff like that. And yeah. And then eventually it got to the point where now like, he would watch me and like just last year and the year before he'd watch me and be like, how are you mixing that color? And I'm like, just, just yellow, red grandpa. Like, <laughs> so it was interesting <laughs> to like see the whole, I don't know, everything flip in a way. And then he was asking me for advice. So it was kind of fun. Man, that's, that's cool that he's so humble and it's not a, he doesn't have a big ego about it. He's proud of his granddaughter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he um, he was like really big into gardening and stuff, so he didn't really get up in the studio too much. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It's funny. My my daughter just went home. She's eighteen. She just went home to my parents' house in New York, and so it was it was their graduation gift. We flew them, my twins, who are both eighteen, home to their grandparents. 
And uh, my mom calls me up after the trip and she says, man, I saw some of Addie's art. Cause you know, Addie, my, maybe you don't know, my daughter studies with me. And um, my mom goes, dang, she's a lot better than you were at her age. And I was like, yeah, she is. And she goes, she said it like she was really concerned about my ego. She's like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I was like, I feel great about it. You know, I'm like, mom, did you forget what it's like to be a parent? <laughs> I mean, I want her to be better than me. It was just funny, her concern. So I don't know why I said that about your grandpa. Of course he's proud of you, right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but then where did you end up going to college? Did you study art in college? So I got tipped off in high school to do illustration at BYU because I wanted to go to BYU and I almost went into the studio department and oh. so glad I did. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. amazing. Loved it. And so in college, like I think for me going to college was a really good decision because I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do yet. Like I went into college thinking I'm going to be a still life artist because through high school, basically all I painted was like dessert because who wouldn't want to just paint donuts and cookies <laughs> and then eat them? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so I was like still life. And then after my first figure drawing class, I was like, I'm doing figure, like I'm doing portraits. Really? And then... The next year I was like, I'm doing children's books. <laughs> and then my senior year, I was like, I'm a landscape painter. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I honestly think part of me was like, my grandpa was a landscape painter. My great grandpa and great grandma were landscape painters. My great, great grandpa was a landscape painter. I'm not going to be a you landscape painter. You gotta be kidding me. Too much. Yeah. That's quite a lineage. So, Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but I did. Just, and now, did you have any just... teachers at the university, at uh, Brigham Young University, that were particularly inspiring? Yes. So I had um, Michael Parker. He's a figure drawing. He's just like a, one of the figure drawing teachers. And he invited me and a few other students to go plein air painting. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been plein air painting before. And that was like the start basically really? for me. And then well, David give me Dibble, more. What, tell me more about that. What was that first experience like and why was it the start? Cause the look on your face sort of said it all, but for those listening, <laughs> tell me more about why that was the start. Um, so it was just like being outside, like all of a sudden I was just like, I can go outside and be in nature, which I love, I'm obsessed with. Like, that's just how I, so I grew up in the mountains, like living in a cabin basically. And so it was just like, this is the dream come true. Like I can go outside and paint outside, like bring merging my two favorite things in the world. So that's kind of, I guess why it, it was the yeah. <laughs> fate. All just fell into my hands. <laughs> That's awesome. So from that point yeah. on, there was no going back to the figure and still life, at least for now. Yeah. So that was kind of like, well, it was interesting because I still loved the other things. But then um, I just every week I getting out and being like outside, because I think part of me is like still married to the idea that I wanted to do like figure 
or something else. And so it felt kind of, I think I was like just denying my destiny. Like, like it was just like my lineage is just like all of this landscape painting, like coming into my body. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. And then I was just like, no, you are. You were still so just being a bratty teenager. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not yeah. doing what my parents and grandparents are doing. It's not happening. Yeah, definitely not. But here I am. Anyway. <laughs> so was that, the, was that was that the main teacher that really influenced you then at BYU? I'd say, so I mentioned a little earlier, David Dibble, I think, was the biggest influence. And he actually um, was hired into BYU, like, as a teacher when I was a junior. Oh. And I remember him coming to, I was in um, Brother Barrett. I don't, everyone calls at BYU, just in case you <laughs> yeah. don't know. Welcome to our culture. People, yeah, people call the professor's brother instead of professor. Anyway, <laughs> so um, Robert Barrett, he um, had, I took portrait painting from him and he had two teachers who were applying for the job. One of them, David Dibble, come into the class and teach. And afterwards he was like, which ones would, which one do you think like you would want? And David Dibble, um, if you don't know, did like a background. He worked at Blue Sky Studios, so he had that like digital background. So I was like, I want to do traditional painting. So, you know, I think the other teacher would be great. So I actually didn't even like vote for David Dibble. He actually had his vote. Really? <laughs> didn't vote for David. Because I was like, you know, I don't want to do digital art. That's just like not my thing. And then David Dibble came in and it was like, greatest blessing of my life that he was hired because I remember sitting down in his digital painting, like intro to digital painting class, I guess, mm -hmm. um, year, and he was like, I didn't think I was gonna, you know, do digital painting. I thought I was just gonna do traditional forever, but like, it's an amazing tool and I'm here to teach you how to use it. And I'm so glad he did because I do use it a lot, even though I'm not great at it. Um, but he was showing demonstrations in class one day and Scott Christensen came up in the slides as one of the examples for paintings and stuff. And I was like, that is incredible. Like I fell in love with Scott's stuff, just the way he captures light and color. Yeah. Oh, so I could see there, the influence there now that you mention it. I mean, it's subtle, but I see it. Yeah. Yeah, so from there, I was in, um, I was with my husband in, uh, where were we? What's that called? It's in Idaho. Sun Valley. Okay. Sun Valley, Idaho. And there were some galleries and we walked into one and we were talking to this gallery owner and my husband, who's like way more outgoing than me, was just like, uh, do you know of like Scott Christensen's work? Like, um, you know, if he does internships, like basically asking for me because I was so shy. And he was like, she's an artist. She's not going to tell you, like, she's not going to talk herself up, but she's an artist. And do you know if Scott does like internships and things? He was like, actually, I know Scott, the gallery owner. He's like, I know Scott. I'll like um, call him and ask if he would consider that. And a few weeks went by and I hadn't heard from him. So I like shot him an email. I was like, do you remember me? I'm wondering if like, like you got a reply from Scott and 
gallery owner was impressed that I reached out again and like double checked and he's like, let me just ask him right now. And then I was just walking around on campus and get this phone call and answer it. You interested in an internship? And I remember just being like, what? Wait, wait, you cut out for a minute. So Scott Christensen himself called you or the gallery? Yeah. And he said, are you interested in interning with him? Yeah, he said, uh, Tim told me that like you were interested in internships, like an internship and I might consider doing that. And, you know, let's talk about that, what it would look like. So my junior year, like junior to senior year, I went up to Victor, Idaho for three weeks and did an internship with Scott Christensen. Wow. And it was just incredible. I came back and my senior year, a bunch of my <laughs> friends were like, what happened to you over the summer? Like, how did you get so good? Like, like that three weeks was just incredible. Wow. So what did you do for the internship? Um, I helped him move okay. his studio into his house because he was moving. And then, um, so that was just like piling up boxes of plein air studies, which was just things nobody gets to see because they're just, you know, shoved in a bin. Mm -hmm. And like organizing through those and then like setting them all on the shelf and then like just helping him declutter, like getting rid of stuff. Cause you know, when you move, so yeah. I got a lot of art books from him through that. And then also just like watching him just chuck paintings that were incredible. And I, and did you like fish him out of the dumpster or did he swear you, did he make, force you not to? So, he forced me not to. He actually <laughs> took paintings and they were on like thin enough masonite that he broke them in half and then threw them away. He could he see, he could see the lust in your eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, no, and this remember, girl's going to take it. Yeah, this like assistant came up to me and she's like, you know, he's just, he only wants to put out his best work. So yeah, he wants to make sure nobody, you know, grabs those things that he's not most proud of. And I was just like, okay, so first I have to like have a body of work that's big enough that I can even be like, oh, that one's not my favorite. I'm going to toss it, you know, mm. like, like, oh man, I got, I got my work cut out for me. But I, at the end of like every day I would go and plain air paint and then bring it in and he would like critique it and tell me what to do. And, um, he also had me, he was working on this big painting of Moraine. Yeah. Moraine Lake in Canada. It's actually a really famous one of his, and he was working on it when I was there and he had me pre-mix the colors for him for that painting. So he was like, Hey, here's the colors, like first mix the value and then adjust the temperature, you know, generally. And so I'm mixing, he's like, Hey, when you get the color, just like put it right on and make sure it matches and if not adjust it. Right. And at this point, like the painting is probably at least like it's, it was probably for him, like two thirds of the way done, you know, it's all blocked in colors are all in edges have work and stuff. But I'm just like, to me at that stage in my career, I was like, this is a finished painting. Like, mm -hmm. you know, as your eye adjusts and as you mature, like you realize what needs to work and change in a painting. But like, for me, I was like, that's, that's finished. I can't, I can't do that. So I'm like putting these paint dollops on that are just like completely off. Like 
put it up I'm like so confident and I'm like oh and that's like three values too dark like so bad so I spent forever like trying to mix his colors and then he would come in and work once the colors were all correct <laughs> he'd come in and work on it and I would just get to watch him work on like these big paintings and um yeah wow. it was awesome that's an interesting way to use an apprentice to help you paint I wouldn't even have thought of that do you think it saved yeah. him a lot and of time yeah and I think he also um from I think mixing you know like the wrist motion kind of hurt after a while for him because mm. he's actually asked me to come back and mix for him like has asked if I want to do that again which I'm like yeah that'd be awesome I'd love to you know just watch you paint and chat and I don't know absorb like a sponge as much as I can so so does he mix a lot with a palette knife or something yeah just pre-mixing before um he puts with those bigger paintings you know just pre-mixing piles so it'd be like right. he'd have me pre-mix like a couple lights for his cliffs and a couple darks for the shadows of the cliff and then um like the lights of the clouds and then the shadows of the clouds stuff like that so it was kind of like a light and dark general um color and obviously a correct value at that point that he could work from hmm. Yeah. I mean, at least for the, I mean, those are huge paintings. So if he wants to have, you know, consistent color through, then I think, you know, that's one of the things. Yeah, that makes sense. So how big is huge? You talking like four or five feet or bigger? Yeah, I think it was five feet by five feet at least, at least is what I remember. Okay. But I was also, you know, just, that could be just. <laughs> you were little and young. Everything looked bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So how often did you go out and paint and did you go paint by yourself? Yeah. So it was like the end of the day and then in the morning I would go paint by myself and then it was like weekends I had off. So, which I didn't want off. I was just like, I want to do more, but yeah. So weekends I would go paint morning and evening and stuff and they weren't great, but I remember I brought one in and I had, it was like just awful. And I had actually ended up like wiping part of it away and I was going to just like paint over it. He was like, don't paint over it. Just keep it because you've got like valuable color notes here. And for me hmm. going outside and painting always was like, I need to create a finished painting instead of like, this is a valuable color note that I can use like with photo reference to create something that has like the right feel and has captured the like moments soul, I guess. Right. But you do today do um, plein air paintings and sell them. You're not just using them for studies, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten to the point now where I just, I can, I don't know there's two mindsets. Cause I, I have my, like some days it's like, just, you know, capture something as fast as I can and just do like a ton of stuff just as fast as I can. And I usually do, um, I'd call them book studies because I have like a paper book that I actually learned how to make from Scott. It's just like a brown craft paper mm -hmm. bound into a book. And then what happens is like, you're using a lot of turpentine with your oil so that it like, cause the paper sucks the oil so much cause it's so dry. It just like sucks the moisture out of it. And it does that enough that I can just close the book or just flip the page after. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't like, 
No, so I can like just flip and flip and flip. And so I can go out planar painting um, and like hike, like I can hike to a destination that's far enough away that I don't want to bring a bunch of panels and then get them all wet and try and like transport them back down the trail. Instead, I just bring the book and then I can do like, you know, 10 paintings on location at that place and just like flip and get all the notes I need. So Wait a minute, you can, there's that mindset. You can actually close the book on a fresh painting? Yeah. Yeah. But what, I mean, what if you do some impasto? That's dry enough too? Or you just avoid that? You keep it, it washing? <laughs> when I was in Jerusalem, I did this like painting at the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was like this olive tree. And it I mean, I was planar painting at night. So looking at when I brought it in, it had like all these interesting blues and greens and stuff going on. But I did the stars and then I closed it, went home, opened it up and all the stars had like squished. <laughs> There are like all these moons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that answers the question. So you keep it, you keep yeah. it thin then, so that it sucks all the oil out of it. Yeah. So why I, I use, why um, not just use a different medium? If it sounds like you're, because I know you went into gouache eventually. Why even do yeah. oils if you're using them almost like gouache? Yeah. So it it looks a lot like gouache. Um, I think I have some on my website, but. Uh, yeah, it looks a ton like gouache and gouache. I use gouache now. I kind of, I hadn't really used it at all. And then I started using it in Europe because um, we traveled to Morocco and where was it? There was another place that I was not sure if I was going to be able to find turpentine. Because hmm. I mean, basically everywhere you can find it. But Morocco, I was like, we went to Marrakesh and I was like, I don't want to try and find a hardware store. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be like there and paint. So uh, that's kind of when I jumped into gouache a little bit. And I have found that I, I have so much um, experience with oil and like mileage using the brush and the paint that I can capture accurately more what's in front of me with oil than with gouache and i'm getting there with gouache but still like the um color mixing and like some of those things i'm still like figuring out so if i really want to capture something like perfectly then i use oil if it if i don't care about it being like perfect then i'm good with gouache but well that in gouache changes value so much it's so frustrating you think you nailed it yeah. and then two minutes later it's two shades darker or lighter depending yeah. on the color yeah yep i know everything all the values just go yeah right to the middle <laughs> yeah no kidding there goes my contrast <laughs> <laughs> but that's also kind of what's appealing about it too i'm i'm, I'm anxious to look i don't want to look at your art yet but I, I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to show people your gouache because I think your gouache are gorgeous. I love your gouache. Oh, no, here. don't say that. There's no gouache on my website. Oh, there isn't? Oh, no. <laughs> it's funny. I was listening to, oh, who did you interview? But you have it on Instagram. Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah, it's on Stephanie my Instagram. Stephanie Page Thompson. Stephanie, yeah, because she doesn't do watercolors on her website. Maybe she changed that. But I was I listened to that and I was like, don't do gouache on my website like i realized that i was like huh you should That's you should have a gouache page because they're gorgeous yeah yeah well thank you um so okay so let's back up again so when you finished the internship 
with Scott Christensen. Then I'm assuming you came back and continued your education at BYU, correct? Yep. Yep. Finished up at BYU. Um, I had my senior show project, um, and David Dibble was my mentor for that, which was awesome because he's just an incredible landscape painter and just understands light and everything so beautifully. So that was amazing. I did a, uh, I had like, I had to theme it around something because um, I was in illustration. So I kind of had to pull something together. So I actually themed it around the creation of the world. So I did like uh, three to four plein air studies or just smaller paintings. And then I did one like large painting for like each of the days of creation. And I basically sold out of that show opening night. Wow. Congrats. So kind of like just jumped me right in to everything. Like just realizing like, oh, I can do this. Cause I, I feel like coming out of college and illustration, um, a lot of like some of my friends and people just like, didn't really know what they wanted to do. And then like, I think it kind of, you graduate and it's like anticlimactic. You're like, oh no, mm. how do I do? Like all of a sudden your professors have become like, I don't know, your peers in competition, I guess. Like you have to try and you're like elevated to this new level and you're realizing like at that point, like I have to work my butt off to be able to actually get up there to where I want to be. Like it doesn't end there. And I think that's the mentality with education a lot is like, this is where it ends. Cause that's what other um, professions and majors are like, but with art, it's like, that's the beginning. Like that's basically school's just there to teach you the tools you need to be able to like move forward and keep progressing after you graduate. So. Yeah. And plus, you know, I went to a university as well. <clears throat> and the other thing is, you know, even though there are some cases like with David Dibble, who was also doing fine art on the side, you don't, most of the teachers aren't doing their own fine art career. And then, and if they are, you don't see it because you only see them in a classroom setting. So you leave school knowing a, a little bit about painting, but nothing about a career, nothing about how to make a living as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. I, they had a class at BYU called like, I can't remember what the title, but basically it was like preparing you for a career in the arts. Mm -hmm. And it was just like um, the biggest waste of time. Because <laughs> they didn't so know bad. anything or what? I don't know. I can't remember who they hired, but it was just like, like I have thought so many times, like if I taught that class, which is terrible, but I'm like, if I taught that class, I would be brutal to those students because that's, that's what they need. Like, they don't need the pat on the back. Like, here you go. You know, let's send you on your way with your degree. They need like the reality check. And I think with artists, with me and some of the other students, like you just don't, I don't know. There's like this mentality of like, I don't want to put myself out. Like it's vulnerable, you know, to be like, okay, I'm going to like jump out there and just like walk into a gallery and be like, I want to be in your gallery. I'm an artist, I'm mm -hmm. super good, mm -hmm. you know, like that, <laughs> that's not, I don't know. There's not a lot of artists like that. It's more of like the, you walk around the gallery and look at art. And then as you sneak back by the front desk, you're like, oh, I enjoyed that. I'm, I'm an artist too. And then you leave <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, blue. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. 
Well, okay. I want to ask you about something. So you would, you said you would teach that class, but then I want to get back to this point about this idea of insecurity as a coming out of, as an artist coming out of college. So let's not forget about that. But you said you would teach that class more harshly, but that I find that, um, a little strange because you're, when you came out of school, you just sort of took off like it i don't I, maybe i'm wrong but i don't perceive you as having a rough road yeah i think that's because i have a very amazing encouraging business-minded husband oh and that is what i'm gonna <laughs> that is why i have succeeded because <laughs> i we'd sit in the car and he'd be like okay you got this you know what you're gonna say you're gonna go in there this is what you're gonna say okay now go in there and then I'd come back out and be like, how'd it go? Did you do it? Like, do you have your pitch? Like, really? Just, what a blessing. Like, realizing like there's a lot of preparation that goes in before you walk in there, you know? So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really good to have him be just like so supportive and like, you know, you just need to walk in there and do it. And now I've gotten to the point where I am confident enough to be, like walk into a gallery holding a baby on one hand and a painting in the other and just be like, I'm walking in here and I'm going to see where this goes because mm -hmm. the road has to start somewhere and you got to make it start. So, yeah. Yeah. So that whole idea of, you know, being afraid when you first leave school and walking into a gallery sort of, you know, like just completely insecure and timid and, um, how, I mean, have you gotten past, I mean, you kind of did answer this question a little bit. I mean, you say you're a little more confident now, but what is it, what is it that got you to that point where you're feeling a little more comfortable with where you are as an um, artist? I think that like having a resume of success in a way helps a lot. Like it's just, I don't know. There's there's like validation behind your like, like actions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've sold plenty of paintings. So, so you, you feel like a little more confident walking into a gallery asking for them to sell paintings. Yeah. And you're just like, I have, you know, won all these awards and I, I you know, I've been in these shows and I have a gallery already. Like I have a couple of galleries already I'm in that I have success in, you know, that helps a lot. But coming out of college when you don't have anything, just like being like, okay, like, how am I gonna do this? You know, like rocking back and forth, crying in the corner, like I can't take on the world. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man, you were so lucky to have that husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like, awesome. He's the perfect combination of encouraging and critical. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Well, the reason I say that is because, I mean, I wasn't like you, um, but probably because I had, I, I had a, when I was in college, I started a handyman business because I've always built things. I kind of grew up around tools. So in order to uh, supplement our income, my wife and I, I would do handyman jobs. And so this business was pretty successful. Uh, and it brought in a fair amount of cash. And then I moved in, I started making furniture for people and that brought in some money. So by the time I got to painting, even though I wasn't like 
incredibly confident in my painting. I was confident in myself as a business person, right? So that's why I say you're lucky to have your husband because I don't think I would have been in the same place if I didn't already, if I hadn't already walked up to clients' doors and already negotiated prices and already had to give bids. You know what I mean? And you, cause you're green. You're just like, okay, I know how to paint. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Well, also, I mean, I still have this problem is like, I'm, I'm so like right brained that I have problems with numbers and specifically zeros. Like I remember being, I was in this gallery down in Southern Utah and I walked in and I can't remember if I, I don't know if I even had paintings in there yet. It might've been before I had paintings in there. And I was just like, yeah, I just sold $150,000 worth of art. And my husband's right there and he's like, 15. <laughs> 15 <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was just like, oh, yes. Like, I remember the gallery owners just going like, and then like, oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, that doesn't work then, because I was going to make the point that more zeros is better. But in that case, adding a zero is not better. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make you look good. <laughs> no, that's too funny. So, okay, yeah. so let's I've look at... better, I've gotten better, but still. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while. So what galleries do you show with now? Um, so I'm in Meyer Gallery in Park City. Okay. And then there's like a small gallery that is kind of they're like a shop and gallery they're called heirloom art co and is that in southern I utah a, no oh. that one is in provo and i've actually had a ton of success in that one for what it is but um i was in one down by zion national park and sadly it closed and um turned into a hotel because all the world has gotten down there near zion which is sad mm -hmm. but like, you know, that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. Just like in the hotels down there, that place has just boomed over the past few years. So that one's no longer open, but yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's look at some of this art. Um, what, what would you like to look at? For, well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to decide. <laughs> I'm going to pick my favorites. Yeah, okay. I'm going to pick some <laughs> that stand out to me and have you just tell me a little bit about them. Um, and I don't see a title, but this is, well, maybe you can just describe uh, it for those who are listening. Yeah. So that one is, uh, Hidden Lake. And I think it's like 30 by 30 or 36 by 36, something like that. Mm -hmm. And this one actually is one of the few that did start with a gouache study. I don't have that many, but this is in Montana, which is where I am right now. Um, and it's an 11 mile hike to get there. Wow. Uh, up and well, up and back. It's 11 miles. And I actually just did it this year again, because I'm obsessed with this place. It's just gorgeous. I've been what ever since I hiked here the first time and painted, I'm like, I have to get back here. So I did it again this year. Um, but yeah, it's just an incredible, incredible lake, just hidden gem. Love it. So Okay, so tell me a little bit about your process. You said you started with a gouache study, and, and I'm assuming the gouache study was in plain air. And then what do you, Just like where do you go from tiny. there? Um, so I did a couple, a few gouache studies. So I went up there, had like my Jimmy Rig little setup, 
and did just a few quick kind of things and then went home and from there did just lots of sketching and to work out like the composition and then lots of photo reference because obviously getting going from you know gouache study this big to how big this painting is took a ton of photo reference and some of my references weren't even that great so i actually had to go and like google photos and like all trails and find other pictures that people had taken to like understand some of the anatomy of the mountain because mm. my pictures with the lighting situation it's like backlit so my uh I didn't take a lot of great pictures, unfortunately, but um, the shadows had kind of been like flattened. I didn't, mm. you know, adjust my exposure on my phone. I don't know if they even have Oh, that you're then. shooting with your phone. Yeah, because this was like, I mean, I'm not going to take my nice camera up, you know. <laughs> 11 miles. Seven miles. Yeah. 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 11 miles. Just like, anyway. Yeah. So that's how that one came about and got some good critiques on it and stuff. I think like going back to like the artist being shy thing that I've gotten over since is just realizing that artists are super generous. And like, if you shoot an artist, like a picture, an email or whatever, a lot of times if they have time, they'll get back to you and just be like, Hey, I think you should fix this. And it's like, thank you for saving me 10 hours trying to figure out what's wrong with this. So. Yeah. Do you still do that? Send your work to other artists for critique? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think having like a small group of peers that you can shoot something to and be like, something's up and I got to get this painting done in a week. Like what the heck is going on? And then they can just say, oh, there's your issue. So this painting actually, I don't think it had sky in it for a while. If I remember correctly. What do you because mean? I you liked... cropped it lower or something? No. No, like the value, like the blue sky didn't exist for a long time because I liked the value arrangement with the white clouds. And so it was kind of like this one white cloud, which wouldn't really make sense. So I was trying to play around with value arrangements and like trying to get that right with that blue sky mm. shape and, you know, had to talk to a few people. And then I think actually David Dibble might have been the one who told me to throw that in, change just the whole painting. Like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, that's what was missing. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So who are, who are some of the go-to artists that you depend on? So I have, there's like a group of artists that I do lots of, I, about once a year we do like a plein air trip together. We're called the storytellers. We, um, interesting, we were like, I was living, when I lived in California in the Bay Area, John Burton, if you know him, mm -hmm. he's down in Carmel, and I got to know him. And then he actually had Tristan Leach, who lives in Utah, out for kind of an internship thing with him, basically. So he like learned about Tristan, and then Tad Retz in New York flew out and did a similar thing with John. And then Charity Anderson, who lived near me in the bay also knew john and he john burton actually was like let's like get the you know four of you all together because you're like similar age it would be fun to have like two boys two girls just like an interesting dynamic and pull you guys together and create something 
and we came up with the name for ourselves for storytellers for our first show and then we've just kind of called each other ourselves the storyteller sense so we have a group text that i shoot them stuff quite a bit and then um josh claire sometimes and brian mark taylor and david dibble and then john burton sometimes too i'll just like shoot them texts every once in a while I'll shoot scott a text but usually it's like i don't know i don't want to be that person that's like look at my paintings. <laughs> I'm like, I know you're so busy. So I usually like, if I go and visit him, I'll bring a few things in person. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I value like, um, the like friendship relationship that I've made with him more than the like, like, I feel like he gets a lot of people who come in and ask him stuff. So I feel like when I'm with him, I want to be that person. that's like, I want to be here and show you that I'm like, interested in you and spending time with you instead of like give me a critique and now i'll leave so right right i don't stuff too much but yeah no that totally makes sense all right let's pull up a couple others here if you do have a favorite let me know so this is one that that feels influenced by scott christensen to me oh yeah 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 can that one is a that's a plein air i started a plein air study with that one i think that one is uh nine by twelve um it's called frozen over but i i mean that's like 10 degree weather here in montana oh my gosh just like right up from the cabin and just like stood out in the sh snow like shivering as the sun's coming up over the hill and i'm like okay i just have to capture this it's so pretty so <laughs> it's freezing my butt off but yeah i just i loved the colors in it and everything yeah, it's gorgeous. So did you like exaggerate? Oh, go ahead. I just said it's like a perfect Christmas card. Yeah, no kidding. Did you exaggerate like uh, these bushes down through here? Um, or was it fall and 10 degrees? No, yeah, those are dogwoods. They turn red in the winter. In the winter they turn that oh, red? Wow. Yeah, so you'll see them. I think there's actually some in Provo Canyon and uh usually there there's some in the canyons in utah too they all turn like crazy red oh my gosh that's amazing so, yeah yeah get get your snowshoe snowsuit on jeff yeah, and get out I've there i've never seen that before <laughs> yeah and i've seen a lot of that in some of scott's paintings where he's where it, to me it always felt like fall and winter mixed and i just assumed he got it on the first snow but maybe it, a lot of times it is dogwood or something yeah and i similar. think i pushed i think i pushed there's a bit of warmth in those because of the sunrise but um usually they're a little more purple you can actually see those like a little bit further back ones. yeah there's a, a lot more. of purple back up, up in here. yeah and so where was this painted that is uh the alpine loop in utah oh that's so such i'm a in montana place. right now but i live in springville utah right now yeah so. that's such a gorgeous place are we at that peak right now almost well actually i don't know because i'm in montana and the aspens here are like bright yellow starting to fade and i think they're just starting to hit in utah because the elevation change right so i think i'm a thousand feet higher so the trees here are, have changed sooner anyway so yeah. the week after the week after next will that be around the peak mid-october i think maybe next week usually it's I, all the leaves this year have actually been a little late 
So usually it's like the beginning of October, like first week of October. So I think next week maybe if they're just delayed a tiny bit. So I think I think they're a week or maybe a week and a half behind even. And I have no idea why. But mm. okay, we need to go painting. Year. We need to go painting next week then. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. No, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Because I have never, I've never painted the aspens up there, and it's such a beautiful oh, canyon. Oh, it's oh so my gosh. Fun. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. I think is it is it the Alpine Loop that's like the um, biggest living organism of aspen forest? I have it's no somewhere idea. Somewhere in Utah, because um, aspens are linked together, like a single tree is linked through all of its. Yeah. Um, trees around it yeah so yeah. somewhere in utah one of the aspen forests is the biggest living organism yeah it's kind of unbelievable oh. that i mean it's rare in utah to have a forest of that many aspens and people yeah. always say because you know I, i've mentioned i'm from upstate new york and and upstate new york's falls are so beautiful um but there's something about the aspen fall because mm. there's something about the the uh, harmony of all yellow and just the cool white trunks up against that warm yellow, as opposed to back east where it's yellow, orange, red, every shade, every warm color you can imagine. And uh, there's something about just that completely yellow landscape that's just so unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, I think it's like the, the like white trunk of the aspen is like this blank canvas for color reflection to just dance around on and it's just like i just love that yeah like it's got usually the full like the ferns and things underneath will be like a dead orange and they bounce up and it's just it's beautiful i love it oh so that painting was just awesome yeah <laughs> tell me about that what is happening there it's so cool you know it's it's really too bad that you can't see this one in person because it is just it was a beast trying to get any photograph that looks remotely like the painting because of how vibrant that red is so it's backlit so, a backlit tree in the fall yeah backlit maple um this one i was kind of like an experimentive piece um i worked on it for about a year which is not normal for me but mm -hmm. um a little over a year just because i kind of like would set it aside and then bring it back out and i had like a ton of fun with it i took some in for like inspiration from gustav klimt up in the sky zone like doing just like random shapes mm -hmm. in there and things obviously no gold leaf but um yeah so i had a lot of fun with this one just like messing around with color and things because it was honestly kind of a challenge piece like i wanted I wanted to do a red maple because red is a mid-tone um, value. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to compose a painting um, that was mostly themed around a mid-tone was just really fun and interesting. So, yeah, I liked that And one. there's a lot of movement in it. My eye just yeah, keeps on so, kind of going around and around. But it's this nice yeah. sweeping arc right here. It's really cool. I'm not surprised you said you're influenced by Klimt because when I looked at it, it seemed like almost like an abstract painting. There's something uh, something about it that feels like, I don't want to say more than a landscape, as in better than a landscape, but it's something different than a landscape about it. 
Yeah, I think um, I think something that I like, I love plein air painting, but I feel like in the studio more now, I'm trying to uh, find a way to push landscapes a little bit more abstract just to make them even read more like the reality that they're representing if mm. that makes sense like it's kind of like when you look at monet's like um haystack painting and he's got like so much texture and color vibration and light up against the edge of that haystack that he's actually almost like mimicking the like reality of what happens with light and like the like physical substance of light itself through the paint mm -hmm. but it's like becoming more than just like a representation of reality yeah so, yeah i feel like that's something i'm trying to like understand and jump into more in the studio wow that is some lighting tell me about this one yeah. this is up near park uh, city right yeah, that's Park City. And that one is completely fake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> totally made I up. I mean <laughs> no, that barn exists. I've done I've done plein air, lots of plein air studies of that barn, but like the the way the clouds are and the lighting and everything in that is like staged, but so referenced from other plein air experiences, I right. would say. So, yeah, it's got it's this feel like you've got this uh, dark, almost stormy sky, but it it suggests there must be a break in the sky in the clouds somewhere outside yeah. a picture frame. Well, you get that a lot in the winter time, and I guess late fall as I'm trying to represent here. Mm -hmm. um, in Utah, you get that like really heavy storm with those clouds up against the mountains as they've like moved in, mm -hmm. but then they'll be thinner out in the west. Although this is this is the east right. technically from like the lighting, but um, they'll be heavy. They'll be thinner out in the west, and then the sun breaks through like right at sunset and gives that alpine glow, just like such a so beautiful. Yeah. Just love it. Yeah. Amazing. Oh man, those mountains. That is gorgeous. The subtlety. There's my value. There's my uh my napkin. You know, the silhouette and then the <laughs> every time I see Tim because my grandpa his studio had a window that just looked at Tim like yeah, unobstructed view of the mountain. And so it was always like Every time I see Tim now, and maybe it's just because he died this year, I don't know, but it was just like, just it's like, okay, pretend there's things underneath, like the rocks and the cliffs and everything are underneath this like napkin of white. And then that's like kind of how his whole thought process was. Oh, with it. I see what you mean. But, yeah. 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 The but, lighting is so convincing on that, the subtle shadows and the white incredible so this one i just remembered something about this painting that's funny i painted this painting planar mm -hmm. and it wasn't anything like this and i had it in um some show or like some small thing and then i brought it back in the studio and i had done like some other planar studies that i liked better so i like repainted the entire thing almost just like over the top so i had like the the composition was all the same almost 
but then I like repainted on top of it just different lighting and everything because I liked the studies better. And then I had a lady take had had taken a picture of it and messaged me the old one and was like, "Do you still have this painting? I want to buy it." And I was like, "Ah, oh man, <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore." <laughs> oh bummer. So. so did you ever sell this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is gorgeous. All right, let's. Uh, I want to just go back to the the. Let's go actually to your plain air studies. I love these southern Utah ones. Thanks. Just that one actually got that one actually was Sedona, Arizona, oh, and oh, that it one is. was okay. second place in Sedona last year. So, so what is older. your what inspires you most in landscape painting? Because there's a lot of diversity here, but do you have favorite? landscapes favorite concepts that inspire uh, you more no i think i'm just obsessed with nature really and then just love all of its beauties and just when i see something just incredible i want to paint it and sometimes it's not that incredible but it's incredible to me and it's like i love this dead bush and i'm gonna paint it i don't care what you say mm -hmm. and it's just you know like there's just sometimes that something just sings to you. Like, um, obviously, I mean, I've got a lot in here that are very grand scenes, but there's sometimes there's, oh, that's one actually that was in my senior show and I've kept it on here just cause <laughs> it's kind of sentimental, but really, <laughs> it's not great, but it's still on my website. <laughs> that's awesome. So how do you go about choosing your subject then that, cause that's a challenge for me as a, someone who's trying to get better at landscape painting, it's sometimes just hard to, to know what to paint and what's going to make a good painting. How do you go about deciding those things? Yeah. So, um, just finding interesting, like value shapes and contrast to create a good painting. And then but a lot of like, when you're driving down the street, like, let's say you get out in the morning and you want to go painting and you're just driving, looking for a location. How do you find good shapes when you're driving at 60 miles an hour through a canyon? Um, I think like understanding the light to begin with helps. So like, okay, my lighting's coming from the east right now. It's still pretty low. That means I'm going to be getting like greater shadow shapes when I'm like coming up the canyon towards the east. So I need to be paying attention to like how that's going to relate with the light in the sky and like the trees and kind of going with that a little bit. And then, um, and then also just like keeping an eye open for like anything interesting that sings to you. So like, I don't know. And then, and then there's times where it's like, like this one that we're on oh, okay. where it was just like, I wanted to paint the barn and I parked and was like, Hey, let me walk and find an interesting angle. So sometimes it's like, there's this interesting subject I want to paint and then I need to walk around it till it gives me a better composition that I can like work with. So do you use a viewfinder or something or no, you don't need that? Hmm. No, I don't use viewfinder. Yeah. Cause sometimes I find myself driving for hours looking for something to paint and just wasting a whole morning or afternoon. Just look, I think hiking, I think hiking helps. Does it? A lot of times I hike in my locations. And I think sometimes like parking and 
I mean, a lot of times you see something amazing and you can't paint it because there's no parking. So it's like, right. I'm going to park and then kind of hike until I find um, what I want to do. So a lot of them are just like, and that way you're moving slower and then something speaks to you and you can do the whole like step forward 10 feet, move to the left 10 feet, like, and then it's easier for it to present itself to you in a lot of ways if you do that. Yeah. So, so for those who are listening right now, I've been, I've been, panning through all of her work while she talks, not all of her work, but a bunch of her work while she talks. So I'd highly recommend you get on YouTube or Apple podcast or the website and check out the paintings while she's, uh, while we're discussing some of these things. What's your goal for the future? I mean, are you just taking it one painting at a time or do you have a long-term plan for your paintings and your career? Um, you know, I think like things kind of adjust and change for me quite a bit. I think like I, I like that when we were talking about that red painting mm -hmm. with those, uh, that maple, like there's definitely a side of me that feels a draw towards more abstract, like abstract landscape mm -hmm. in a way. And just trying to like push things a little bit more different. Um, but then there's a part of me too that's like I just love like the painting we started on with the hidden lake. Yeah. Like I just love that grandeur. And it's it's something that um I think um a lot of people love. And I know that there's a lot of talk about like you're a Scott Christensen copycat or you're a Clyde Aspovic copycat because you're doing like this scene that's like very grand and very like something they would do. But I'm like you know, if I'm bringing the same casserole to the table that's delicious and everyone still wants to eat it, what's wrong with painting like the same mountain and bringing the same dish mm -hmm. to the table? It's like everyone's still going to love it and still think it's beautiful. And um, I don't know, everyone represents it in their own unique way and brings their own unique take to things. So I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm going to be doing both and... I don't know if they'll slowly push apart or if I'll be able to like pull them together a little bit more, but. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't know how someone can own a mountain as far as subject matter. <laughs> you know, I, I think what makes you unique and, and every landscape painter that is unique, um, different than their peers is how they apply paint and the, and the compositional decisions they make it's the subtle things. It's not the subject matter. Not to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you get five painters and you line them up and say, Hey, let's all plane or paint this exact scene. No one's going to, no one's going to do the same thing. Yeah. We talked about it earlier with like the book study things and I want to show you them. So you don't, so you can see what they look like when they're closed with like the closed up book. So if you go to like plain air studies, there's a book studies, but yeah, so yeah, they still, they kind of have like a gouache effect in a way. Yeah. So they're thin. They're really quick. Yeah. And the goal here is literally to study. So they're literally mm -hmm. studies. I'm assuming. Yeah. Cause they're oh, yeah. very fast. Yeah. Yep. That has a really Russian quality to it. I don't know why. Probably because of snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can. That totally looks. Uh, yeah, looks Russian. And these are I mean, in more than one book, I assume. 
Yeah, I've got a stack of them. No so, kidding. Yeah, I've got a lot of books full. And, you know, that's like the best source of inspiration for me because sometimes I'm like, what am I going to paint? Yeah, these um, are neat. That's, that's the best. So how do you balance your time? I mean, you're clearly doing a lot of stuff you don't intend to sell. So as a professional painter, how do you balance your time between painting in a book like this and painting paintings for the gallery? Um, and commissions and commissions this year. I mean, the bottom line the is, you know, like I've got two commissions I'm doing right now and I've got to have them done by a certain time. So I'd love to be landscape painting too. And I'd love to be doing lots of things, but I also like doing what I'm doing. So I have to, I have to, it's a constant balance for me to do the things that aren't paying, find time to do the things that aren't paying and uh, still finish the things that are paying. Right. So how do you strike that balance in your career? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I think that I, when I'm in, I'm kind of, I have to have like breaks in things a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like I can't just, um, like if I just worked in the studio all day, every day, I think I'd go insane. And so I have to do like that. I'm going to go up to Montana and just like leave my commissions and my studio work and go plein air paint for a week and a half, which is what I'm doing right now. And just gather information and like um, study from life and then go back in the studio. And a lot of times like being out and studying from life, then when I return to the studio, I see like all my mistakes. Mm -hmm. because like, oh, I've observed from life enough to be like, oh yeah, that's what's wrong with that. Like, so after, if I'm in the studio too long, I start making like mistakes because I'm not um, capturing things accurate to nature. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a lame answer, but I think it's just like, I have to balance because otherwise, like I have to do I have to take the break to do something that I want to do that's different and passionate so that I can like get back in and bang my head against a commission canvas until it's done. So do you <laughs> justify it by seeing as part of the process then? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's hard to tell somebody like, Hey, I have this deadline for your painting, but there's something not quite right about it. So I'm going to go and leave it for a week and paint. <laughs> exactly. And I think people are, under yeah. I think people are understanding of like, they're like, Oh, you're an artist, you know, like your process. Like there's something about being a creative person that people just understand that you're like, they're like, yes, you just do you. And mm -hmm. you know, I know you'll create something beautiful in the end, but like, I trust your creative process. And so far I haven't run into anyone that's been like, no, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. You have to finish my painting, right? whether or not you want to, like it needs to be finished. And if you ruin it and I still want it. In yeah. Time, like, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah, no, that's never happened to me either. <laughs> so, yeah. and then what about the rest of your life? Cause I know you're a new mother, relatively new. How old is your 
is a daughter or son? She just turned one. Okay. So you're a pretty new daughter. mother. Yeah. So how do you balance yeah. that with a oh. career in painting? <laughs> well, uh, she just took her first steps this week. So now I'm screwed. My career is <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. For four years until you get her into school. <laughs> yeah. No, she's, she's a great baby. I'm really lucky. Like she, I just like set her on the ground and she just, you know, plays, eats some dirt and I paint. Now that she's walking, I've got like a little like pop-up play pen thing that another mom told me about. So I'm just going to shove her in that. And I have a plein air competition in Sedona in a couple of weeks and she's coming with me and my husband's working. So it's like, we just, you know, make it work. She gets put in the hiking backpack and we go hiking. And I get a good workout having my plein air stuff on the front and baby in the back. Wow. <laughs> and then I get there and I like paint as fast as I can, which honestly is like instant reactions. Couldn't, you know, couldn't come easier because I don't have the time to waste. So she goes on the ground and plays after she's done hanging out in the backpack and you know, throw her some Cheerios and just make it work. You're just, you're just lobbing Cheerios over your shoulder and hoping her mouth's open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like dumped a bag out. I was like, Hey, I meant to like only dump a few, but you know, here's a bag of Cheerios. <laughs> and then she just like ate dirt. So I was like, just wasted. <laughs> so how many of these, uh, these show, cause you just went to spring city. We saw each other there and now you're going to Sedona. It's only been a month since spring city. How often do you do these? Um, what do you call them? Uh, plain air, competitions. plain air competitions. Yeah. I don't do a ton. I used to do more. Um, but I'm picky and choose. I can be picky and choosy about them now. I think, I think coming like right out of college, it was great because it was a way to like get some awards behind my belt and things like do these plein air competitions and then have some things when I approached a gallery to be like, hey, look, I um, you know, people like my stuff and I've won things. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of valuable. So um, I don't do a lot now, but I just I love Sedona. Um, they just like treat their artists really well. And it's fun to like. I've gotten to know them just um, I, the, my first year was last year, actually. And Lucy was like two months old. Mm -hmm. and it was it was crazy because <laughs> I was breastfeeding. So I was like, I'm going to paint and then I'm coming back. Wow. <laughs> and like feeding you and then going to paint. It was just anyway, it was fun. But uh, I, I wanted. People again and. I don't know. They're all like, we're so excited to see Lucy. So I'm like, okay, I'll come. So, so yeah. is this something you'd recommend to young artists to do, to do these plein air competitions? Yeah. Um, I think it's, there's like, I mean, art, like being a professional artist is a solitary profession. So these competitions are just like a great way to be around a bunch of other artists and to network mm -hmm. and just like get advice and learn and um 
so yeah i would definitely say and then you can apply like once you get some of those like behind your belt you can apply for the invitationals so sedona is an invitational so you have to like apply and then get accepted to participate in the show and then you can apply for those and then that's where like a lot more collectors come and then um when you approach galleries then you have like uh some things to talk about with them and say like oh yeah i won this and did this and i'm a big deal <laughs> that's the key you got to be able to tell people you're yeah. a big deal <laughs> Yeah. And have you found that it's been really helpful for your career then? Um, yeah, I think so. I think like uh, my first my first gallery in Southern Utah that I got into, that was mainly because of plein air competitions was how I like networked my way into that one. Um, so, yeah, because I did uh, Zion's plein air, which they kind of that was an invitational and they kind of uh, got rid of that one in a way. And then they also had another one in Cedar City that I did that was an invitational. And those kind of helped me just like be like, first of all, I was invited to participate in this. And then also I've like creative work or created a body of work naturally through a week of competition that I can like show a gallery and also be like, hey, I already sold all this, but it like I can paint this landscape and paint it well, so. Yeah. And how does one even find out about all these things? I haven't even heard of half of this stuff. Oh, I know. It's the worst. I remember just like getting out of college and being researching and trying to find it all. Um, the invitationals are like juried art shows, but I think the best way to do it is find someone like that does the plein air competitions through just um, either attending one competition or just look up like plein air competitions in like your area mm -hmm. and attend one of those or if it's an invitational then attend that and ask the artists what other competitions they do or they would suggest doing in the area that maybe aren't invitationals that you could get started on because if they're in a plein air invitational they've done the plein air competitions like around to know what to hit up and stuff Right. So when you say in attend a plein air invitational, you mean as as a guest, not as one of the artists. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they do because like they'll do live demos and stuff. So it's it's nice to attend just as a growing artist anyway, because you can watch a plein air artist who's like a professional at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you Maybe this is an obvious question, um, but maybe not. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely curious in what you have to say about it, but how do you continue to grow as an artist and not stay, or not just get stale and just do the same thing over and over again? I think uh, looking, there's like a, a lot of things I think you can do with that. I think uh, master copies, looking at other artists work, to kind of give yourself direction and then lots of working from life and um and which of those do you do all of them you do you're still doing master studies even now yeah i mean i mean just like today even because i didn't have a ton of time i just pulled open like a google google has that thing it's called like art and culture or whatever 
Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. You like open it up. And I just searched um, like Scottish National Gallery because I was there like four years ago and wanted to just like see some of the art that I was inspired by and just did like tiny value drawings of like some of the paintings. Hmm. So it's just like, I mean, it's everything. It's like just understanding like the value shapes, like it doesn't have to be extremely detailed painting master copy. Like it could be something like that. So okay. stuff like that. And then earlier you'd mentioned that when you studied with David Dibble, that you were sort of resistant to digital work, but that now you use yeah. it in your work. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so my main use for digital is um, just like photoshopping over a painting I'm having troubles with so I can take a picture of it. And now they have like apps on your phone and stuff. So like when I was right after I had my baby, like with that red tree painting we looked at, I was trying to figure out it actually didn't have any sky in it. It was just like flat, like red, just anyway, the values were all really mid-tone. And so I was just sitting there and I was like tired, just had a baby and just like had it on my phone and was kind of playing around with just a stupid paint app and like put in the right sky shape and was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. So it's like the best way to like solve problems easily because you can always just like erase whatever you painted over the top and then like fix another shape or move something around or whatever. So. I don't use it a lot when it comes to actually taking um, like a photo reference and then like adjusting the photo reference. I know a lot of people do that. I think David Dibble does that as well, but um, I usually use it to just like fix things in my painting and experiment with like what's wrong when I get stuck on something in the studio. So do you ever think it'll evolve to doing it in the way that David Dibble does it where you because my understanding is that I should, in, I need to bring David on the show and talk about it more. And I, I'm going to ask him about that. But my understanding is that he and many other artists will literally finish the painting digitally, essentially solve all the problems digitally before they ever even touch canvas, which I can see how that would yeah. be a huge time saver. Have you thought much yeah. about that? And if so, why aren't you doing it? <sighs> I like to torture myself, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. I think, um, I think I start out with an idea and I like the way things are going and then something adjusted and I don't know what it is and I fix it, but I've never been the type of person that plans the entire painting out before I start it. And I think that's just kind of the way I work. Yeah. Maybe I, I, and I'm also, I'm not an amazing digital artist and I don't like spending time on the computer. Mm. So mm. I, I'm, it's very valuable and I probably should learn more about the digital painting process and like get to like doing something in a more finished state. But I'm always better working from life and plein air studies, just always putting the paint down makes me like, I don't know, happy, not like putting the like marks down with the yeah. pen on the so, computer. <laughs> so why do you say you think you should? I mean, do you really think you should, or you think you're doing it the way no, you should I'm be doing it? Okay. Cause yeah, I, mean, again, <laughs> I just wanted to know for sure, because I mean, it's not for everybody, right? I mean, there's de- certainly nothing yeah. wrong with it, but 
And you also made, you said it sort of facetiously, but you, you said you like to suffer. But honestly, that is why I have worked. I worked the way I did for 14 years. I literally did it in order to suffer. <laughs> like I literally had a Learn conscious thought. <laughs> I literally had a conscious, conscious thought some 16 years ago that in, in order to get better, I need to add resistance and I need to make myself suffer more. And so, so yeah. you kind of joked about it, but that's an actual, and to me, that's a legitimate reason <laughs> to not yeah. use those tools, you know, to suffer more so that it's like that gym analogy. Uh, the simple analogy would be just, if you add more weight, you get stronger. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just one argument. And then there's, but, but it's also an incredible tool. So I, I, I'm always interested in why people do what they do. And I, well, I, I also think like the more mileage you have behind paint on a brush, yeah, the better you're going to be and faster you're going to be at putting it down on the canvas in the correct way. And I think that like, there's, there's lots of artists I know and friends who do amazing digital paintings, but when it comes to like getting the brush in their hand with the paint on it and sticking it on, it just looks like crap. Yeah. And that's like me too. Sometimes like if I was like, Oh, I just plain air painted this beautiful scene. And then someone gave me a computer and said, okay, recreate it. And like Photoshop, I'd be like, I'll try, but it's not going to look that nice. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, just warning you. Like, I'm a painter more than I am a Photoshop artist. And so I don't have that skill, but I don't know. I think like just painting on the canvas and learning how to turn your brush and move it in the right way. There's something about that that's like, I don't know. It's helped me, um, I think also just embrace and like understand my style in terms of how I put paint down and push that further than if I had been like working a lot on Photoshop and then going into doing a painting, I think I wouldn't have that like um, bark and flare like I do with like my brush, my brush, um, my brush work. Yeah. You know what the, the other thing, and so this, this isn't a bash digital art podcast. So I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea because I think it's a totally legitimate tool. But the other reason that I'm sort of, um, weary of it is because when you're done, you don't have, even the, the studies aren't tangible. Mm -hmm. So like on your website, yeah. you have a whole book full of studies that are, that are, you can hold in your hand that are tangible things. And yeah. to me that there's a draw to that. Like there's something about that, that I'm attracted to. And I think you could also maybe say that I'm lazy. And like, if I created this like wonderfully finished Photoshop painting, I'd be like, well, I'm done. I don't really want to paint yeah, I would now. do the same thing. It's done. Why paint it? It's done. Yeah. So I think that's, that's also probably part of my personality. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about what other or how your temperament has affected your quote unquote style other than things we've already talked about? Oh, I, okay. It's funny. I've been thinking about this recently. Like I'm not a very slow painter and I know artists who sit down and will work for like three hours on a painting and it would drive me mad. Like, <laughs> like I'll go to figure painting or like figure drawing and I'll be like, well, 
and done after an hour, like I, I know that I could like really dig in and understand this anatomy, but I don't know if I'm like ADHD or what, but I'm just like, I'm like a fast, dirty painter. Like I just have to get it over with and be like, okay, I capture. And it makes me so excited and I love it. But, um, I think like, I'm, I don't know, I can't. I can't do the like sit down and like render perfectly and study something for like a really, really long time in one sitting. Like, it's just not part of who I am. And I don't know, maybe that's a lame excuse to not like jump into that. I've been trying to do it more and like be like, hey, I'm going to paint this like three hour head. But I always find myself starting to draw like the other painters <laughs> and artists around me because I'm like, well, I did that person. <laughs> Maybe I'll do this person. Like, oh, yeah. I just, I think that's why I love plein air painting. It's like it was made for me. It's like, you know, you're only going to get this light for an hour, so better hurry up, you know? It's hmm. just... So how do you cope with that Im impatience, for lack of a better word, when uh, when you're in the studio working on a big painting? Um, you know, it's weird when it, like, as the painting increases in size, I think, um, I think that I have more like fire in me to finish like a, like at least like into a step. Does that make sense? So like if I was doing plein air painting, I'd have like five minutes and do the block in. But if I'm in the studio and have a huge painting, then I've got like, you know, an hour to do the block in and it's like. I like that that still like translates over to be like, hey, I finished the block in. Like it's like a milestone thing, maybe. Okay. Like, I'm like, hey, I did the block in. I do the, you know, like it's still fast though. Like I um a lot of my studio paintings are like still one or two passes mm -hmm. if I have it like figured out to the right point. So hmm. and then there's ones that are a year because I just am like experimenting and that you know, but you're not working on them for it. a year. You just have in your studio for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, that one probably sat with its like face to the wall for, you know, eight months. Right. Being punished. <laughs> you're grounded. <laughs> okay. Ellie, before we go, I want to ask you one final question. So if you could give a piece of advice to aspiring artists, what would it be? Um, I think I would say work from life because that's what I was told as an aspiring artist. And it's, you know, there's no better teacher than working from life. And I would also say that, like, if you think you're really good at art, then you're probably not as good as you think. <laughs> and then if you think you're really bad at art, then listen to your peers and mentors and you're better than you think. Uh, I mean, you get further as a humble artist than you do as like a pitying artist or an overconfident artist. So. Oh my gosh, I love that. Okay, so I typically don't comment after that advice, but that reminds me of what you were saying earlier about how you're this timid artist going to this gallery, and I know you were good then, and yet you were timid and shy and didn't recognize your value and uh but yeah. that's what makes you good because you're always teachable <laughs> and willing to keep yeah. learning right yeah it's true it's like as soon as you think you're the best then you're gonna stop learning and that's not what 
that's not what it's about. You got to keep learning and growing. And, you know, it's, it's funny because you'll look at yourself in a year and this happens to me a lot. And I'm like, I thought I was really good and that painting's off. Like, <laughs> it's like, it just happens. Like you grow and you learn. And sometimes you hit this moment where you're like, I'm great. And then you look back a year later and you're like, that was awful. And then other times you're like, oh, you look back a couple months later and you're like, oh, that was actually pretty good. You know, so. Well, I always tell yeah. my students because I'm very often down on my work. And, um, you know, in my own studio where it's private, I'm, I'm going to be critical of my own work and be very vocal about it. Not like in a whiny way, but yeah, no, this isn't right. That's not right. You know, um, and my students will say things like, oh, my gosh, if you're not good, then what does that say about me that's the thing about being an artist the better you are the more you understand what you don't know yeah yeah you know and so it's and like I this tortured like artist soul because you the better you get the more you sort of dislike what you're doing and the more you crave further growth yeah and i think like as you grow and study other artists work you get more of a critical eye Mm -hmm. So when you approach your own work, you're able to really like pin down the problems quicker. Yeah. Or see the problems just in the first place. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're all, we're all doomed to a life of the tortured artist. Oh my God. <laughs> we, and, and. Did that freeze? <laughs> that, that froze freeze. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that freeze was amazing. Oh, shoot. Oh that was great. I don't think that's lighting. I think you're turning beet red from embarrassment. <laughs> you know, this is staying on the podcast, Ellie. <laughs> Thanks oh, for that yeah. great, that great grand finale. That was a great expression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for doing this. It was awesome having you on okay. the show. We'll hey, see you thanks. soon. That was fun. Yeah. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.